Hello and welcome to Champagne and Murder, please. I hope you're ready for your bonus ode. <laughs> I have two stories today because they're short and I don't want to leave you guys with like a five minute story. Um, I am drinking a Moet and Chandon Ice Imperial Champagne. It retails for about 70 bucks. It's delicious. You should go out and try it. So without further ado, let's get this Monday going and let's get to your stories. The first story that I have for you today was actually brought to my attention by a listener who also happens to be my sister. So thank you, Kristen. Um, yeah, I have I have a lot of sisters. Um, <laughs> so my sources were from de.wikipedia.org and stuttgartzeitung.de, and it's about Joachim Goer. So there wasn't much information on this case that I could find, so it's going to be short and sweet. Um, Joachim was a seven-year-old boy that was kidnapped from Stuttgart Diegerloch on April 15, 1958. His case was the first case of a child abduction in the Federal Republic of Germany. It is believed that Joachim was lured to the Stuttgart Haldenwald Forest by 40-year-old temporary gardener Emil Tillman. Get it? Tillman? He's a gardener. On the pretext that Emil wanted to show him some animals. And that's exactly how I would be kidnapped. His death, according to Tillman's own confession, was strangulation, and he said it occurred immediately after abducting him. But the forensic evidence and report both set the time of death a few days after the abduction. After Tillman abducted him, he tried to ransom the boy to his father for 1,500 DM, Deutschmarks. But the handover of the money was delayed due to various misunderstandings, and whether or not Joachim was alive at this point is up for debate. Many believe that he was already dead. And Tillman thought of the ransom after, or maybe he was alive and due to all the miscommunication, he got fed up and killed him. Joachim's body was found seven days after the kidnapping in the woods, and that's all they really had for that part. But the father called the police since they had taped the phone calls with Tillman, and they weren't getting any further in the investigation using conventional methods, and the discovery of the body were now public knowledge, they resorted to a new tool. Two weeks after the crime, the recorded voice of the kidnapper was broadcast all over the radio. It was the first time in the history of Germany that a criminal's voice was publicly broadcast, which I say is not true because Hitler was on the radio years before that, <clears throat> my personal opinion. Several references to Tillman were brought to the police's attention, and Tillman was then arrested, and he confessed to the crime. While on trial, the discussion about the abolition of the death penalty in Germany was at the forefront yet again. I do not know if Tillman had a whole trial or not, since there wasn't much information, but he did hang himself while he was in custody. Today, the broadcasting of offenders' voices via radio or telephone announcements are standard means in, in criminalistics. The sensational case was filmed for an episode for a popular German television show. And that's all I have on that one, but it was short and sweet, and thank you again, Kristen, for that story. The next story that I have for you is about the ghosts of Fort Phantom Hill in Texas. My source is directly from legendsofamerica.com. I just took their entire article because there was no way I could do it better. So, located in Jones County, Texas, Fort Phantom Hill is one of the most pristine historic sites in the Lone Star State. Built in the early 1850s to protect the westward-moving pioneers, the historic site not only provides today's visitors with a rich historical view of the past, but is also said to be extremely haunted. 
In 1849, the federal government sent Captain Randolph B. Marcy to explore the vast region to the north and west of Austin to establish a route through the area. Long inhabited by the warlike Comanche Indians, the area was known as the Comancheria. Marcy's exploration aimed to establish a safer passage for immigrants headed to the California gold fields. As a result of Marcy's recommendations, a cordon of forts, including Fort Phantom Hill, were established on the new route to the, through the Comancheria. Acting on orders from General Furster 4F Smith, Lieutenant Colonel John J. Abercrombie arrived at the Clear Fork of the Bezos River with five companies of the 5th Infantry on November 14, 1851. His first impression was not good, as a wet snowstorm blew in, killing one teamster and 20 horses, mules, and oxen that froze to death. Also, Abercrombie found, much to his dismay, that the site had neither wood for construction nor suitable water for the men and animals. Though he sent word of the poor conditions, the orders were unchanged, and construction on the fort began. What was unknown to both Smith and Abercrombie was that the fort was being built at the wrong location. Smith had just recently taken command from his ailing general who had been supervising the construction of the forts along the route. The plan had been to build the fort at a site in Coleman County, but Smith unfamiliar with the area, changed the locale to the Clear Fork near its junction with Elm Creek. This decision affected the post's future as the fort was built in an area with inadequate water and building timbers to supply the needs of the new garrison. Stone was brought in from Elm Creek about two miles south of the fort, and oak logs for the officers' quarters and the hospital had to be brought in by ox wagon from as far away as 40 miles. The guardhouse, magazine, and commissary storehouse were built entirely of stone, but the other buildings were adobe style. Fort Phantom Hill was never officially named. Instead, it was referred to as the, quote, post on the clear fork of the Bezos, end quote. There are two legends about the origin of the unofficial designation Phantom Hill. The first of which is that the hill rises sharply from the plains when approached from a distance, but seems to level out as it's approached, vanishing like a phantom. The second account is that of a nervous sentry who fired on what he thought was an Indian on the hill. The investigation that followed failed to discover the presence of any Indians, and one of those troopers suggested that the man had seen a ghost. Life at the fort was difficult for the soldiers as Elm Creek was often dry and the waters of the Clear Fork were brackish. Early on, an 80-foot deep well was dug near the guardhouse, but even it was not always reliable. More often than not, it was necessary to haul water barrels in wagons from a spring about four miles upriver from the post. Because of the lack of water, a post garden could not be toiled, leading to a shortage of vegetables in the men's diet. As a result, the soldiers began to suffer from scurvy, fevers, dysentery, colds, and pneumonia. Desertions at the fort were said to have been common due to the monotony and loneliness at the isolated fort. One member of the garrison, Lieutenant Clinton W. Lear, wrote a letter to his wife in Fort Washita, Oklahoma, that described it this way. When I say to you that we have a beautiful valley to look upon, I have said everything favorable that could be said of this place. Our camp is pitched in a small grove of black jack, about five acres extent, within 200 or 300 yards of, the, of a creek, the water of which is salt or brackish and bitter. Everybody is disgusted. Like the dove after the deluge, not one green sprig 
can we find to indicate this was ever intended by man to inhabit. Indeed, I cannot imagine that God ever intended for white man to occupy such barren waste. Although the isolated fort was vulnerable to attacks, its garrison had only peaceful encounters with the Indians, including the Comanche, Lipan, Wichita, Kiowa, and Kickapoo. Because its occupation was relatively uneventful, the fort was abandoned on April 6, 1854. At the time of its evacuation, the Indian menace had been curbed due to the establishment of reservations on the Upper Brazos and Clear Fork to the northeast. As the troops marched out of Fort Phantom headed toward El Paso, they looked back to discover the fort was in flames. The event was blamed on the Indians or Confederate troops, but many said that it was the garrison members, because of their distaste for the post, who set it on fire. In 1858, the remaining structures of the fort were repaired and utilized as a way station the Southern Overland Butterfield Mail Stagecoach Line. During the Civil War, Colonel James B. Barry, or Buck, and some of his units used Fort Phantom Hill as a base of field operations. Beginning in 1871, the fort served as a subpost of Fort Griffin near present Albany, Texas. After the Indian Wars subsided, a town grew up around the fort ruins in 1876 or 77. It was a buying and shipping point for buffalo hides. By 1880, Fort Phantom had a population of more than 500 and was made the Jones County seat the following year in May of 1881. However, that was a short-lived title as the county seat was moved just six months later in November to nearby Anson, Texas. The Texas and Pacific Railway routed its tracks through Abilene, 14 miles to the south. A letter written to the San Antonio Express in 1892 commented that Fort Phantom contained nothing but, quote, one hotel, one saloon, one general store, one blacksmith's shop, and 10,000 prairie dogs, end quote. In 1928, John Guitar of Abilene, Texas, purchased the property. In 1969, his grandson, Jim Alexander, also of Abilene, deeded the property to the Fort Phantom Foundation to ensure its long-term preservation. Today, Fort Phantom Hill is one of the most pristine historic sites in Texas. Besides a dozen or so chimneys sprouting up above the plains, the 22-acre site includes three intact stone buildings, including the powder magazine, a guardhouse, and the commissary. The site is open daily during daylight hours and is free to visitors. While no accommodations are provided at the site, informational brochures are available, and the major structures are clearly marked. Visiting the site gives modern-day visitors a feel for what life must have been like there in the 1850s, as people tried to tame the unforgiving West Texas landscape. The fort is part of the Texas Forts Trail, a 650-mile highway tour of historic Texas. The fort is 11 miles north of Interstate 20 at Abilene, Texas, on FM 600. You can also access the fort on the Texas Forts Trail on FM 2833. Informational pamphlets are available on the site, and major structures are marked. Ironically, the Fort Phantom Hill Reservoir was built in 1937, two miles south of the old post that severely suffered from a lack of water. The reservoir supplies water for about 100,000 people in Taylor and Jones counties. As to the hauntings of the fort, its name alone suggests that it would only make sense that the place would be alive with spirits from the past. Several legends exist that the place is haunted by restless Indians of frontier times, who continue to stalk their ancient grounds during the night. Another says the fort is haunted by an innocent man who was wrongly hanged near the fort. 
After his life ended at the end of a rope, his accusers are all said to have died in mysterious ways. A former Abilene psychic who visited the fort said that he suddenly saw an old officer's quarters change into its former complete structure, where he found himself in the parlor. There, two men in officer's uniforms stood before him. One man was said to have been tall and thin, while the other was short, a short red-haired man with piercing eyes. As the psychic stood there in fright, the men glared at him, seemingly unhappy at his intrusion. When he turned to flee, the apparitions and the restored building faded. The nearby Lake Fort Phantom Hill is also said to be haunted by a watery spirit who is familiarly called the Lady of the Lake. This phantom woman has been seen numerous times, the first of which almost 150 years ago, long before the lake even existed. Dressed in a light-colored long gown or robe, the watery ghost is said to have been seen wandering aimlessly around the lakeside. Others who have seen her describe the apparition as floating over the lake, sometimes carrying a lantern and surrounded by a bluish glow. Who is this restless spirit? The answer to this question provides as many legends about the spirit herself. The first legend says she was the wife of a pioneer who built a small cabin in the woods that are now filled with Lake Phantom. Amid the dangerous Comancheria, the cabin was often attacked by Indians. To protect themselves, the couple made a pact that no one would enter the cabin without first speaking to a, a secret password. If the code word wasn't given, they were to shoot anything or anyone that tried to enter. One day, when a man had gone out hunting, he was ambushed by Indians as he was approaching his cabin. Injured, he managed to escape and began clawing at the door to this cabin. Forgetting about his password, or unable to say it, his wife shot him before he cleared the stoop. According to legend, the forlorn woman continues to wander the lake, cursed for eternity for killing her husband. A second legend says that when a couple was to meet at a church near the lake in the mid-1940s to exchange wedding vows, the groom never arrived. After hours of waiting and sure that he would not have left her standing at the altar, she begged authorities to look for her groom. The next morning, he was found dressed in his finest suit, floating in a boat in the middle of the lake. Though the man's face bore an expression of severe pain, doctors could not determine the cause of death. Some say the spirit was the bride searching for her fiancé's killer. A third legend places the spirit much later in the early 1980s. According to this tale, a young woman and her lover agree to meet at the lake for an evening of romance. However, when the young man arrived, he was enraged by a rumor he had heard about her, and the two began to quarrel. The disagreement grew worse, ending in the man drowning her in the lake. In this version, it is the murdered woman who wanders the lake. Finally, if you were to ask anyone of Hispanic descent, they would most assuredly tell you that the ghostly woman is that of La Lorna, who is often seen about the lakes and rivers of the southwest. In any event, there have been hundreds of sightings throughout the years of the Lady of the Lake, who seemingly doesn't keep her excursions only at the lakeside. She has also been said to have been seen at a nearby cemetery, as well as along a dirt road called Lover's Lane. One couple who saw her at Lover's Lane described her as walking along the road. However, they could see that the apparition had no eyes when she grew closer. Other strange phenomena around the lake include the sounds of screams, moaning, gunshots, and rapping upon vehicle windows. Others report smells of decaying flesh, perfume, and roses. Now that's a combination. Dogs at the lake have been noticed to go into unprovoked snapping and barking at seemingly invisible visitors. On the breezy Texas border, on the prairies far away, where the antelope is grazing and the Spanish ponies play, where the tawny cattle wander through the golden incensed hours, 
and the sunlight woos a landscape clothed in royal robes and flowers, where the elm and clear fork mingle as they journey to the sea, and the night wind sobs sad stories o'er a wild and lonely lea, where the of old the dusky savage and the shaggy bison trod, and the reverent plains are sleeping midst drowsy, drowsy dreams of God, where the twilight loves to linger ere the night's sable robes are cast, round grim ruined spectral chimneys telling stories of the past. There upon an airy mesa, close beside a whispering rill, today, there today you'll find the ruins of old Fort Phantom Hill. And that was by Larry Chittenden in 1938. And that is the story of Phantom Hill. So those are my stories for today. Sorry they're a little late. There were some extenuating circumstances this morning for recording. I hope that you guys enjoyed the stories and I hope you guys have a great week and I will talk to you again on Friday with Mark. And remember, stay safe and don't take candy from strangers. Goodbye.